Welcome to Holy Unhappiness, conversations about the expectations we have of what the life of faith will feel like. I'm your host, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. Each week, I'll be speaking with writers, pastors, artists, and friends about the myths we believe about the good life. Together, we'll reimagine what blessing can look like if we are willing to look beyond our culture's definition of happiness and success. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. thrilled today to be joined by my first guest, Sharon Hottie Miller. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the concept of work, which is a topic I cover in the first chapter of my book. Sharon is an author, speaker, and co-pastor with her husband Ike at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, which is just down the road from me. She teaches about faith, culture, and the Bible and has published three books. She's the mother of three kids and is one of those people who just like knows how to be nice on the internet, which is strangely rare these days. We've been a little chatty online for a while now, but we met for the first time just a few weeks ago over lunch in Durham, and I'm just really thrilled to have her as my first guest on the Holy Unhappiness podcast. Sharon, it is so good to have you on the podcast. This is my first episode. (laughs) Oh wow! So I'm su- so I'm I'm super excited. I'm also a little bit nervous. Um, I've decided to just fully embrace the awkwardness of me not really knowing what I'm doing, like as an interviewer. So, um, but that's partly why I asked you to be on because I was like, Sharon will be nice to me. <laughs> She'll be gracious. She'll be easy to talk to. Well, like on that note, I feel like we should let everyone know that I am having to rest my hand on my computer in order to get rid of a buzzing in the mic that we don't know where it's coming from. But the, neither one of us can troubleshoot. my hand on the computer <laughs> is helping. <laughs> it's like, it's like, we probably need to have a tech advisor, but it's just you and I and it's going to be great. And you're doing great. I'm going to do great going to be awesome. I'm going to keep my hand right here. <laughs> well, if you forget, it's no big deal. Um, I think the conversation is going to be great and, and people are going to glean a lot from it, whether or not there's a slight buzzing. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be okay. But um, yeah, Sharon, so it was so great to meet you a couple of weeks ago. I guess we had lunch for the first time. Mm-hmm. We kind of been internet friends, but it was great to meet you in person and um, just glean some wisdom from your pastoral experience and your experience as, a, as an author. I was I was honestly I was so grateful um, just to to chat with you and get to know you a little bit. So. It was really fun. 
Um, so I wanted to have you on to talk about the chapter I wrote about work because you write so, uh, beautifully about work in your book, Free of Me. Um, and I know you, you have other books, like you have a more recent book, The Cost of Control, but I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that you're willing to kind of go back to this previous book of yours and, and talk a little bit about your perspective on work. Um, and you write in that book about how, um, as a writer and a teacher of the word, um, when, when you began that work, you found it to be deeply satisfying, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but as the years passed, you, you kind of stopped enjoying it. You hit almost a breaking point. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about that journey and, and mm-hmm. how that happened? Yeah, it's been probably close to 10 years ago now, but I, when I hit that breaking point, but before that I had finished my MDiv degree, I was writing a lot, I was starting to speak more, and I first started my blog, like, remember blogging? (laughs) I do remember blogging. I was just listening the other day to a podcast where the host was introducing someone and they said, and you're a blogger? Like, with a question mark. <gasps> oh, like, like people don't exist? know what blogging well, is? Well, no, it's more like they still exist. It's like a, like you're uh, still, those are still around. But yeah, I started it's blogging. It's like when, when people don't know who, like, Teddy Ruxpin is, or you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. who, like, what, what's, what is, or like, like landlines. Yeah, or <laughs> Care Bears or things mm-hmm. like that. And you start feeling like a super old millennial. But yeah. anyway, okay. So I started blogging really because I, I was a Bible study leader. I was in college ministry and I wanted another way to just teach throughout the mm. week. And yeah. so I started blogging for very pure ministry reasons and continued to for a while. But at some point, I, as you said, I started to lose the inherent joy in it. And the the best way I can describe like what happened is if you imagine that you're running a race and you have people that are running next to you and you have people running ahead of you. And what I started to do was I would look at the people running next to me and I would compare myself to them. And I would look at the people running ahead of me and I was looking for acknowledgement from Mm -hmm. them and affirmation from them. And if I did not compare well to the people running next to me, or if I did not receive the acknowledgement or affirmation from the people running ahead of me, it completely demoralized me and it, it made me feel insecure. It took all of my, that inherent joy, that inherent meaning, it what it just stripped it all away. And I became very fragile and little slights, you know, like if I would see someone I looked up, looked up to promoting another author, but not me. Mm. I would just feel devastated by that. And and like, why am I even doing this? Yeah, I've never felt that way. I've never, ever <laughs> once, not one single time. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was really, I was really surprised, actually, that I had that response because I've never, this is going to sound like the most arrogant thing to say, but I had never struggled much with insecurity. It just wasn't sure. something that I really struggled with. And then all of a sudden, I was very insecure. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out where this had come from. 
And so that sent me on a journey that became that book because I I responded to mm. that by reading a lot about insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of books about it and just reading like, what does scripture say about me and my worth and my value and like my role in the church. And I did all of that for months. And at the end of it, realized that it had not helped at all. And that there was something else fueling my, my insecurity. And that was, as I said, the beginning of the message of free of me. Yeah. That's so interesting that it was kind of a, a vocational angst that, Mm -hmm. that sent you on a journey of writing this book. That's exactly what started my journey of writing the book, Holy Unhappiness. And I think part of that is because we place so much weight in the meaning and the identity that we derive from our work and this kind of myth that's out there that if you just find a job you love or you find your calling, mm-hmm. then you'll be happy and work will always be meaningful and work mm-hmm. will always be fulfilling. There's mm-hmm. this quote that you have in the book that I just love. I want to read if, if you're okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. This was you're having a conversation with, with some other authors and you had this realization. You say, I didn't want the obscurity or the invisibility or the toil without success. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be known and celebrated. Affirmation was the only reward that mattered to me. And without that reward, I couldn't be satisfied. That's a pretty honest statement, mm. but one I really, really resonate with. I don't even with. remember writing that. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it kind of like a yikes moment when you read uh-huh. something you wrote and you're like, oh, did I just tell the world that? Yeah, <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. Yeah. So I, I write some in my book about well, – I write a lot – actually about the curse mm-hmm. of Genesis 3 and how there's this this curse of of the ground of our labor that work is not cursed but mm-hmm. the the ground will produce you know thorns and thistles for us by the sweat mm-hmm. of our brow we will we will labor you're you're a pastor you are theologically trained i want to hear you share some thoughts on what you think that curse is all about and how mm-hmm. that plays out in our mm-hmm. day-to-day lives yeah Well, I think it plays out in a lot of different ways. You know, the way that I often describe to our church, the way I describe what happened in Genesis 3 is similar to when you imagine hitting a a windshield with a bat. Mm -hmm. And the windshield doesn't necessarily shatter, but there's this point of impact. And then there's all these cracks that spider out from that point of impact. And that's what happens in Genesis 3 is you have this point of impact, but then the cracks spider out through the world. Like there's nothing that is left untouched. So even though the form holds, it's still like fundamentally broken. And so that's true of work in in a lot of different ways. But for me personally, the way that it it played out and, and what I discovered through my research after, you know, going down that road of looking into insecurity and really what I was trying to address was low self-esteem. Like all Mm. the um, books I was reading, all the scripture I was searching was me diagnosing like what's actually underneath this insecurity is low self-esteem. And so I need to just boost my self-esteem. But the reason that didn't work is that the problem was not low self-esteem. Hmm. The problem was actually self-preoccupation. Mm. 
And that was a huge light bulb for me of understanding that there are actually two different causes of of insecurity. And the one, low self-esteem, that we talk is one that we talk about all the time. But there is another, which is self-preoccupation, making everything about you. And when everything is about you, everything is a referendum on your value. Yeah. Every, the stakes are just very, very high. And so that creates its own insecurity. But the irony is if you try to address that form of insecurity as if it is about low self-esteem by just mm-hmm. like heaping affirmation on yourself, you're actually just reinforcing the problem more rather than correcting it. And so that was that was huge for me, just distinguishing those two things. But the way that this ties into work then and, and what I think happened in, in Genesis 3 is that in Genesis 3, one, one thing that was broken was actually not just our work, but our souls. Mm. You know, we, St. Augustine, he uses this language of the soul is now bent in on itself, that rather mm. than being oriented towards love of God and love of others, we are, are oriented towards the self. And what happens through faith in Christ as we become more like Jesus is is the Holy Spirit slowly unbends our soul and reorients us back towards love of God and neighbor. But this is, and I'm getting like into the theological weeds here, but what I love this has it. to do with work is our work gets broken because it was meant to be about something greater than ourselves. It was yeah. always meant to be about love of God and love of others. But we make work we break work when we make it small, when we we make it inward facing, when we make it about us. And so that's one way that mm. work becomes more burdensome than it was ever meant to be is when we actually just make it too small. We, we, yeah. we give it a mission that is far too small and, and that's its own form of sickness. Yeah, I... I share a quote in my book from Jefferson Bethke. Um, he uh-huh. says, work used to be about making things. Then all of, a, all of a sudden, work was about making us. Mm. And this like temptation for work to be all about me, this preoccupation with myself, who am I in the world? Am I contributing enough? Am I important? Am I seen? And I valued. Uh-huh. I think that, that, that inherent human um, inclination, I think has just been so exacerbated by the 21st century culture that we live in, because for so long, work was kind of about survival, right? Like, Mm -hmm. most people didn't have a whole lot of choice in what they did for work. They didn't have a lot of upward mobility. It's like you were a, um, you know, a a peasant, or maybe a slave, or, Mm -hmm. you know, if your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not like they had all these these choices. And it wasn't about this identity crafting through the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And so that preoccupation with the self has just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper Uh as we've um, become an identity, you know, an identity, you know, individualistic driven Uh culture, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. And I think there is, there's a a balance there because on the one hand, I think as much as the New Testament church, there's this language of gifts and, and people operating in their, their gifting for the edification of the church. I think there is like some good there in saying God made me this way to use my my gifts and my talents, you know, for the kingdom of God. And that when I am walking in that, 
there is fulfillment and there is joy. Mm -hmm. And to not be able to do that because of poverty or because of patriarchy or because of slavery, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. that that is not good. But on the other hand, I think we've, our culture has swung really hard in the direction of saying calling is meant to kind of like you said, make you like it, it, there's something about calling that it's almost like you cannot be happy without it and that it exists in order to satisfy you. And I think when you swing that in that direction, it is equally harmful to our souls in some way. Yeah. Right. And I, one of the things I think is so interesting about kind of the lie that the serpent told Eve, which by the way, I killed a snake this week for the first time. It was like crawling across my deck. My husband mm-hmm. wasn't home. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have to kill, I have to kill this snake. There are was young it children like a copperhead? here. No, it wasn't, no, it wasn't a copperhead. So the stakes weren't that high. Okay. Okay. But okay. <laughs> I still felt like I had to be a hero to do this. Yeah. You're like, I must protect my children. <laughs> I'm, yeah, from this relatively small garden snake. So uh-huh. I went to the, you know, the garage. I got the hoe and the shovel and, and I was like, just really like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And so uh-huh. I, I, I started thinking about Genesis three to kind of psych myself up to kill the snake. <laughs> and I started reciting the verse, like, you know, there will be enmity between the oh woman and you, and you. And, and as, as I thought of that verse, I was like, I felt this primal rage well up in me. Okay. But nevertheless, this, so I've been, I've been thinking about snakes. I've been thinking about serpents. I've been thinking about the lie. And it, it really, what it feels like the serpent did was tell Eve lies about her lack. Cause it was like, mm-hmm. did God really tell you that you couldn't eat of the trees of the the garden? Mm-hmm. And it was like, God had given them like every single tree except one. And mm-hmm. there was an abundance of beauty and delight. And, um, you know, that God had offered to Adam and Eve and Satan found the one thing that she couldn't have and exploited that to say, you don't have enough. God isn't enough. You know, that this is not enough for you. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of write in my book about how the anecdote, um, or the, the antidote to this, this problem uh, that we have in work may be re reclaiming the experience of delight and finding joy in the simplicity of our labor and joy mm-hmm. in the yeah. fruit that we sometimes find among the thorns and thistles. Like mm-hmm. if we're willing to say, Hey, the fruit of uh, accolades and the fruit of recognition and the fruit of um, attention that's that's bad fruit but mm-hmm. but the fruit of a of a hard day's work to the glory of god and the good mm-hmm. of humanity the yeah. simplicity of that is enough is good is beautiful can i find a light in that mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah that's really good that's a that's a really that's a great perspective for those moments when we do feel dissatisfied with our calling and to think how that dissatisfaction some of it could be sin, like being in the sin mm-hmm. of the world. Like it, it could be you're dissatisfied because you have a terrible boss, but some of it is that lie in Genesis three that the enemy is like whispering to us and how we yeah. respond. We can either respond like Eve or we can respond as Christ in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you have this awesome quote in, in your book that I just want to read. You say, um, dissatisfaction is is a torment but it's also a teacher Mm -hmm. i'm I'm gonna read that again dissatisfaction is a torment but it's also a teacher it reveals our false idols 
and it forecasts our future. Mm -hmm. It's a cautionary tale of the life we think we want. And in that sense, it's a grace. I think kind of the, the, the plea I'm trying to make in my book is that it's okay to listen to the negative emotions that you're, you're having because sometimes they're legitimate. Sometimes they're a result Uh of this fallen world. The ground of our labor is cursed. It means work is always going to be hard. Sometimes they're an indication of false expectations or self driven agendas. But if you don't listen to it, then Uh you're not going to learn anything, you know? Uh Tell me a little bit more about your thinking mm-hmm. when you when you wrote that brilliant mm-hmm. line. Yeah, it's similar with with insecurity with both of them with insecurity and dissatisfaction. We are in a culture that has told us if you feel insecure, you need to fight that away with affirmation. That whatever is making you feel insecure is a lie. You know, whatever is making you feel dissatisfied is wrong. And, you know, sometimes that is true. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes you feel insecure because someone spoke a lie over you. Maybe it was one of your parents, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it is good to identify when am I feeling insecure because of something I'm believing that is not true. When am I feeling dissatisfied because of something that is not good, you know, in like a a biblical sense. But sometimes you feel insecure because of something in your soul that is standing on something insecure. And in that sense, insecurity, dissatisfaction, they're also informing you about yourself. Mm. They are teaching you, revealing to you, clarifying what is going on inside of your heart. And so whenever I wrestle with insecurity or dissatisfaction now, especially with insecurity, that's like a huge drive of the book, is for me to pause and ask, why? Like, why do I feel this way? What What is fueling this? Like, what am I standing on for confidence that is failing me right now? And that is very helpful information to mm-hmm. have about yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I think, again, it's, it's just that in, in a culture that says if you have a negative feeling or a difficult mm-hmm. feeling, you got to immediately do something to stop Get rid of it. feeling yeah. that way. Get rid of it. And that's the, that's the self help. I don't know. I feel like that undergirds so much of the self help wellness self care movement. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of self care. I did, you know, my job before I started writing was to help aid workers be more, you know, be resilient and take care of themselves when they're out working in these harsh, traumatic environments. Self-care mm-hmm. is important. But when, you know, what undergirds it is like, you must avoid all difficult feelings at all cost. Mm-hmm. then I think we yeah. just, we lose so much of what we could learn. Um, and we also just deny a little bit about what it means to be human. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. Alan Noble wrote so beautifully about this in his most recent book on getting out of bed, like pain is part of the human experience. And you can't like, there's no life hack that will help you kind of yeah. avoid that at all costs. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, well, I want to, um, there, there's a, a question I want to ask. And I want to ask everybody I, I interview about this is that as you've grown in your walk with the Lord and on your journey of faith, how has your perspective on what it means to be happy or to be blessed mm-hmm. 
changed? How has it mm-hmm. evolved, I guess? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm grateful that I wrote that book. It's been that released, I think, in 2017. So it's been out in the world for a little while now. Yeah. And I'm grateful that I wrote it before church planting. Because there are so many opportunities for insecurity. There's so many opportunities for humility and honestly humiliation in church planting because it is chaotic and disorganized and it's messy. And I mean, even even the people that I know who planted a church and have every resource available to them, all the money in the world, it's still just so deeply hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, I'm really grateful that I did this spiritual work early on because one big takeaway for me was just the gift of humility. Mm-hmm. And that whenever, whenever humiliation does come, that it, it is an opportunity for me to invite God to strip away anything that I would be tempted to look to for my security other than him. Hmm. And I really like, I think I say this in the book that humility, it, it has like a really ugly packaging, but just the most precious gift inside of it. And inside of that gift of humility is true freedom. Yeah. And so, and, and I really, I really believe that. I mean, I, I could say that to you, Yeah. but, and, and I think people listening could hear that and think, I agree, but you have to believe it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like believe really, it with your whole self. Yeah, Live like as if really, you believe like, it. Like in those moments, because it is so tempting to make yourself bigger and to try and, you know, make yourself feel impressive and, I I actively like reject that now, and that's that's something that is um, kind of my husband's cross to bear a little bit mm-hmm. because he's an Enneagram three, and so uh. you know appearance and performance is really uh, like something that he craves, um, and I'm kind of like almost the opposite. I've almost mm-hmm. swung hard in the opposite direction. So like just to give you an example. Uh, we were asked by Barna to do a video about giving, like how to cultivate a culture of giving in our church. Mm. And so he starts out and he kind of gives these different three points or whatever about like, this is how we've cultivated giving in our church. And this is like my, you know, theology around it. And this is what we say. And so he gives this like really great answer. But then I go and I say, you know, like, I can give you some, like, answers, but, like, we don't really know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, our giving wow. has, like, I, I was like, we can tell you what we're doing, but I don't know, like, I can't tell you why we have, how we have actually, like, cultivated generosity as if it's, like, a formula. Yeah, um, that's right. Like, I, I can just tell you what we've done, but I don't want to stand here as something I'm not. Mm-hmm. And my husband... I think wanted to just like die. He was, he just was like, afterwards he was like, why did they ask us? You know, if like, what's the point of them asking us to like help people? If you're just going to be like, what do we know? I don't know. And so, <laughs> We're supposed but, to know. But I really, I mean, some of it too is I hate listening 
to, I feel this way about a lot of leadership podcasts where you feel like the speaker is like, well, I'm killing it. And like, this is how, mm-hmm. and I, it just makes you feel like garbage because you know, yeah. you're not killing it. And so I really resonate more when people share their struggles or share, or just are authentic. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't want to make people feel worse, but also I don't like serving an appearance. Yeah. I don't like the feeling of having to make myself impressive to other people. It is a very heavy yoke. And so yeah. I've really learned the good, not of um, false humility, not of, you know, tearing myself down just for the sake of it. But but genuinely, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to make something up. And I've experienced so much freedom in in that. I mean, I still wrestle with it, but I've experienced it's it's genuinely the greatest liberation of my spiritual life, second to, you know, just putting my faith in Christ. That sounds really nice. I'm really happy for you that you have <laughs> arrived there. I think I'm probably a little bit more um like your husband in that like, yeah, I do I do sometimes test as an Enneagram three, which I don't like to admit. Mm. I want to be a two because I want people to think of myself. Like I want people to think of me as being a helpful person, mm-hmm. which is a clear indication that I am an Enneagram <laughs> three. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. But, but all that to say like that, but you're absolutely right. Like the gift of humility is the free, the rest that comes when mm-hmm. you finally escape that rat race of proving yourself to people of of mm-hmm. needing to be seen like that's an exhausting you know what is that the the, the yeah, that's the exhaustion of works-based righteousness and works-based mm-hmm. yeah. identity crafting and and right. and works-based achievement if mm-hmm. you can just say like it's yeah it's it's enough for me to say i'm not really sure like i don't have all the answers i'm not sure if i'm doing that this right like mm-hmm. i think there's just so much to, to be said about that. And, mm-hmm. and I think too, when we, when we don't see, like, I think, I think what I hope people my age, I'm, so, I'm solid millennial. I guess I'm kind of an elder millennial. I like to think of mm-hmm. myself as an older, wiser millennial. Mm-hmm. Millennials and Gen Z coming up, like, just because you find your work exhausting or a job gets boring or or it gets frustrating or you stop finding joy in it. That doesn't mean you need to turn in your notice. You know what I mean? It may be because you've gotten caught up in this endless cycle Mm -hmm. of needing to prove yourself or be Mm -hmm. seen. Mm -hmm. Or it could be that just like work is hard. Work is always going to be hard. Like it's always going to be laborious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, exactly. So tell us, tell us what you're working on right now, something you're excited about, and then we'll let you go. I mean, I don't have any books in the works. This is the don't first time. Don't say that. Um, no, it's okay. Actually, <laughs> I will say this is not even like, um, I have not signed a contract or anything, but it's interesting that you wanted to talk about Free of Me because I, my most recent book was about control. Yeah. And so that's the one I've been talking about. But Free of Me, that message has really endured. Like it continues. I continue to hear from people about it. Mm. Like it's a really important message. And so I'm, I, I, I'm actually probably going to be doing a follow-up devotional, like a 40-day, it'll be something like 40 days to self-forgetfulness kind of a yeah. journey. I don't have a title for it or anything, but it's something that I just felt like, I don't think I'm done with this because 
even just talking with you about it now, I mean, I've been talking about this book for five years and it's still just really matters to me and is such a great source of freedom to me. So I I think I'm actually going to be going back to this well again pretty soon. Yeah. It's, I love, it's so interesting that you used a couple of times in the conversation, you used the term preoccupation. That was actually the working title of my book for a couple of years. Uh, This is a book I've been working on for way too long, like six Uh years. Like it just keeps going on and on. I'm actually thrilled for it to finally be done. But that was the title for about three of the six years that I've been working on. Um, But but anyway, um, yeah, oh my goodness, I, I hope you do write that devotion. But um, for anyone who's listening, please check out Sharon's work. Um, she's, uh, her book, Cost of Control, is also incredible. Like it's, we could have a whole other conversation about mm-hmm. it. And you've got how many other books? Just one other. There's okay. one called Nice, Why We Love to Be Liked and How God Calls Us to More. And that's more about the like appearance of Christianity that we are discipled into. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have uh, 30 more minutes to talk about? No, no, we'll, we'll let you go. But where, where can people find you, Sharon, um, in um, case they want to check these out? I'm active on Instagram, just Sharon H. Miller. Okay, awesome. And you're down in Raleigh, which is just down the mountain from me. So mm-hmm. I hope that this these conversations can continue and this yes. friendship can continue. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your work, your pastoral presence in the world, and for the wisdom that you shared with us today. Thanks, Amanda. I write this in chapter one. Whether farmer, fisherman, pastor, or CEO, when we work, we imitate our creator. Work is not a mechanism by which we earn value and prove our worth. When we labor, we demonstrate the dignity that is already ours simply by virtue of being the image bearers of a divine laborer. To work is to be human in the Garden of Eden. To be frustrated by work is to be human in the aftermath of the fall. Our frustration is a reminder that we were made for the perfect presence of God. When we work, we long for His presence, and that is a worthy endeavor in and of itself. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll listen next time. We'll be talking with Caitlin Shess about the concept of marriage and singleness. (laughs) 